everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. Would you help me welcome all of our first-time guests? We're so glad to have you with us, whether you are online or right here in the room. Boy, can you tell we're about to have some fun? We got all those from scrolling your Facebook pages, by the way. I'm just kidding, just kidding. We won't tell if it was any of you guys. Uh, well, hey, let me tell you a little bit about what we're about to do. We've got three weeks leading up until our Christmas weekend, Christmas services, and there's a little card on your seat that tells you about those service times because we have a lot of different opportunities for you. Uh, but what we're going to do for these three weeks is a little series, as you can tell, called How Matters. And the idea behind this series, uh, more than a year ago, God gave me a message he put on my heart for the youth, something very, very specific I thought they needed to hear at an early age. And so they finally invited me to speak. I hadn't hold on to that thing for a long time. I need to talk to the youth staff. But anyway, they, they finally invited me to speak at the beginning of this school year. I shared that message. And after I did that, the adult youth leaders, most of them came to me and said, I think the adults need to hear that just as much. And uh, of course, I secretly agreed. And so we decided we would put it into the calendar right about now. And as I was praying about that message and maybe tweaking it a little bit for the adults, I realized that message was more than a single message. It was actually a theme. And so we're going to take this theme and do a short little three-part series with it. Okay, everybody good? And it's going to be fun along the way, uh, at least the beginning of it, because the messages might challenge you a little bit. So you got to laugh before we, we go any further. So I'm going to start with a question. How many of you are the kind of person that likes to look for a shortcut or an easier way? When you've got like this big job in front of you or something, you're like, there's got to be an easier way. There's got to be a, a shortcut to get out of this. That's funny. I just saw a couple of you going, like, like terrified of that idea. I, I uh, a couple of months ago, got to go and be at a special event where the, the guy that was speaking and preaching invited me to be a special guest. It was about 2,000 people in the room. And so I got to sit right on the front row as his special guest. And that was pretty cool as long as he was preaching. The problem was when it was over and all 2,000 people stood up to leave and the only doors, the, or at least the main doors you're supposed to use are in the back. And now I found myself at the very back of a crowd of 2,000 people. You need to know something about me. I don't like crowds. I don't like waiting in line and I'm not very patient. And so everybody else was, was waiting to go through these doors to get their lunch and to go out. And I look around and go, I'm not doing this. I don't even know what they're serving, but it is not worth waiting in the back of 2,000 people. So I look around the room and I notice there's a side door. And, and I think, wonder where that goes. And so I go out the side door and I find a hallway that goes all the way around the whole auditorium, took me right to the lobby in front of 2,000 people. Come on, how many, what do you think of that? Right there, come on. Now, some of you immediately are thinking, how dare you? You should have stayed in line, done what you were supposed to do, and been like everybody else in there. Why do you think you're so special? And then there are others of you that are like, oh, that was pretty smart, Jimmy. I'm following you next time. <laughs> and the way that you responded to that will tell you something. You see, there are different ways we look at things. There are people who say, I believe that how you do something matters as much as the outcome. There are other people who believe the outcome justifies the means. Whatever you need to do to get there is okay. Matter of fact, this whole idea comes from a famous philosopher named Machiavelli. Maybe you've heard of it. His philosophy was the end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. Let me ask you a question. How many of you think that how you do it matters most? How many of you think that the end justifies the means? If I get where I need to go, come on, somebody willing to admit it? Y'all are afraid because y'all know either way you answer, I'm walking you into something. See, there you go. You've been around here long enough. Well, look, let me give you an example of how this kind of works in life. 
Uh, let's say that I just finished Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, so I'm no longer allowed to use credit cards. There you go. And uh, I want to take my wife out to dinner, so we're going to have to use cash to do this. And so I, I need to get money out of the bank to take my wife out on a date. There is more than one how for getting money out of the bank. Y'all know that, right? So I can go to the bank and I can withdraw money from my account. We can go out, have a great date, have a nice dinner, really enjoy ourselves, pay cash for it, walk away. We've had a good time. There's another how to get money out of the bank. Instead of withdrawing it, I could borrow it. And when I borrow that money, I'm going to have to pay it back later with interest. So we're going to go out on our date. We're going to probably enjoy ourselves, but we might have a little bit of indigestion from the stress, knowing that I'm going to have to pay more for this food tomorrow than I should have had to pay for it today, right? You guys with me? And then my wife is going to want dessert, and I'm going to look at her and go, honey, we're paying interest. You really don't want dessert, do you? So then we're going to get in a fight on the way home, and it's just not going to be as good as if we got money out of the bank the other way. You do know there's still another how for getting money out of a bank. I could walk into the bank and just rob the place, right? You know? And, and as they give me enough money for many, many date nights and dinners with my wife, the police will be at the door before I get to the door. I won't get to go out on a date. I'm not sure what my wife will eat, but I'll be eating jail cell food. And, and the whole thing's just not going to go well. So apparently, how you do something actually matters, right? How matters. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I would believe every one of us at some point has tried something our own way. You've gone about something. It's not what everybody suggested. Matter of fact, there was probably someone, be it a parent or a teacher or maybe a spouse now, they were standing beside you going, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And you're like, oh, don't worry, it'll be just fine. And you tried it and it didn't work out quite the way you expected. The real question for you though is, who did you blame? When the teacher caught you for cheating, were you mad at the teacher or did you blame yourself for cheating? When the police officer pulled you over, did you blame that police officer for, how, come on, man, didn't you see the other guy going faster or did you blame yourself for speeding? Here's the real point today, the real question I got for you. How many of you want the best life God has planned for you? You have to raise your hands for this one, right? Well, here's the thing. That is the desired outcome. And I believe the way we go about something will determine if we actually get that outcome. So let me show you that uh, as we look at scripture today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel, and we're going to be at the very beginning of chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, that's actually closer to the beginning of your Bible. Don't worry, everybody, it'll be on the screen right here as we get into the message in a minute. While you're turning, let me give you the backstory. First of all, I want to show you a picture of something, because we're going to talk a lot about this thing today. It's something called the Ark of the Covenant. If you look at the screen right here, you'll see a picture of one, because if you didn't grow up going to Sunday school or watching Indiana Jones movies, you may not know what... I'm glad three of you got that. But I'm glad that uh, you, you, you need this picture here so that you'll know what we're talking about because multiple times today we're going to talk about this box. Let me explain this box to you. This box is what God gave Moses instructions to create, to, to build. It's, it's wrapped in gold and it's got the cherubim on top. But the whole point of this box is God gave Moses two tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. And he said, I want you to put those two tablets in this box called the Ark of the Covenant. And you're going to take this with you wherever you go. You're going to create a tent called a tabernacle, and you're going to put this inside of it. And it's going to be your treasured possession as the people of God on the earth. And matter of fact, my presence will accompany that box. Where I go, you, where you go, I'm going with you because you're going to be carrying this box, which represents my presence with you. And so later on in life, 
the people of God went into battle with some of their enemies. Matter of fact, they had arch enemies that were also their next door neighbors called the Philistines. You may have heard of the Philistines. And so they went into battle one time and they weren't following God correctly. So God allowed them to be defeated in order to get their attention. But instead of repenting and turning back to God, they said, we'll just go try again. And so they went back in the battle and they said, you know, here's what we did wrong. We didn't take the Ark of the Covenant with us. So we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us next time. It'll be like our lucky charm because as long as we've got our lucky charm, nobody can beat us. Now, this, is, this part's not in the Bible, but I'm going to paraphrase what God was thinking up in heaven. Excuse me, I ain't your lucky charm. I'm actually the one that allowed you to get beat by them because you walked away from me. So you think you can rebel against me and then take me into battle in the form of a box and I'm going to show up on your behalf? Oh, I don't think so. And so the way the story then played out back to the actual Bible is that God allowed that box, the Ark of the Covenant, to be taken by their enemies and they take it back to their nation. The story we're about to read takes place 20 years later. We're going to jump back and forth in time a little bit today. But what we're about to look at 20 years later, David is king of Israel, king of God's people. And he says, it's time for us to bring the Ark of the Covenant home. Okay, so we're in 2 Samuel chapter 6 at the very beginning. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000 of them. And David arose and he went with all the people who were with him from Bailey, Judah, to bring up from there the Ark of God which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord and with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. Quite a party. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Now, if you've ever read this story, your first thought is, oh, man, God, you're mean. And there... Is a reason that I chose this particular story. There are many stories in the Bible that I could have used to demonstrate to you that how we go about something matters. But I wanted to, to do two things at the same time. First of all, I want to show you that how matters, but I also want to help you with your view of God. Because if you look at this story and you don't actually understand what's going on behind the scenes, it makes God look like a pretty bad guy, right? I mean, Here's poor little Uzzah, just, just be, trying to be a nice guy, man. This box is about to fall off the cart into the mud, and so Uzzah goes to stop it, and God kills him. Like, come on. This doesn't sound like the God of love you hear people preaching about all the time. Doesn't sound like a great God we want to bow down and worship and say, oh, God, you are so good. Makes us think he's actually a pretty bad guy. But what we're going to do today, first of all, is understand what actually took place, because I think that'll help us have a correct view of God. And so my hope because I've been a pastor long enough to know that there's a good number of us that are struggling with what we think of God. And there are some of you here today that believe God is angry and distant and judgmental and maybe just waiting to treat you like he did Uzzah that day. And it, it doesn't encourage you to come closer to him. And so what I hope we can do today is fix how some of us view God. Are you all good with that? 
That's just going to be the benefit on the side. So let's go back in time and get more of the story, right? So the Philistines had captured the Ark of the Covenant 20 years before this story took place, right? 20 years ago, they had gone into battle, and, and the Philistines had then taken it home. Because if you captured someone's God, you had shown that their God was powerless. It's what people would do because back then, everybody had some sort of a statue or something that represented their God. So if you could capture their God, it showed their God was powerless. So they took this powerless trophy, this Ark of the Covenant, and they put it in the temple for their God. His name was Dagon, and they put it right beside Dagon on, on another little podium there. And they came in the next day, and Dagon was face down on the ground. And they said, Dagon it. <laughs> Just so you know, dad jokes ain't got nothing on preacher jokes. But here's actually the true part of the story that was cool. Dagon was face down on the ground. He was face down before the Ark of the Covenant, as though this statue that wasn't even a god was saying, I bow before the one true God. How cool is that? That's because the God that they brought and set up beside him, the Ark of the Covenant, was not powerless at all. And so he proved it because they took Dagon and said, well, it's, it's sad he's on the ground. And they put him back on his little pedestal and they went away. They came back the next day and Dagon is back on the ground. And the people said, Dagon it, there you go, right? Except this time was different. Not only was he on the ground face down, but his head had been broken off and his hands had been broken off. As once again, he's laying before the Ark of the Covenant. And it, as we're seeing here, God is, is telling them, look, your little statue, he doesn't have the knowledge or the mind. He is not the creator of the universe, nor does he have the power to do anything. That's pretty cool when you think about it. So at this point, a plague comes upon these people, tumors and mice, and we're not 100% sure of what all that was, but some sort of a plague God inflicted them with because they had captured the presence of God. They didn't know how to treat the presence of God, and they thought he was a powerless little nothing, and it was just a pretty gold box. And so as Dagon has fallen down and broken and they've got a plague that come upon them, they say, well, we gotta get rid of this thing. This thing is a problem. Let's get rid of it, right? And they kind of thought, well, it could be a coincidence. I mean, the statue could have just fallen down. Let's find out if this really is a God and if their God really is powerful. Let's do it this way. We're gonna take this Ark of the Covenant and we're gonna put it on a cart. And we're gonna attach the cart to two Milk cows, that means mothers who have calves. And, and so we're going to then take the calves and we're gonna lock them up somewhere else. And if this God is really powerful, he's going to lead this cart with these cows away from their calves and to the nation of Israel. So we'll find out if it was a coincidence or not. Well, God shows himself powerful again. And so the cart does turn, it goes to Israel. It actually comes and stops at a little town in Israel right by the border that had the, the Levites, the people of God who served in the temple and knew what to do with the Ark of the Covenant. And it stayed there for 20 years. And so then David says, it's time for us to go and bring this home. That was the story we just read about. And you would think this was a really good intention. There were a lot of great intentions. First of all, David says, hey, look, the Ark of the Covenant is sitting in some guy's house for 20 years instead of being here in Jerusalem like it should be in our capital. Let's go get it. Great intention, don't you think? A couple of heads nodded. I thought it was a pretty good intention. Also, David notices the Philistines are thinking about attacking again. And he says, wait a minute, our most treasured possession is right by their border in a little town. Let's, let's bring it to the capital to protect it. Great intention, don't you think? 
Y'all got to participate with me. And, and so then they said, well, let's, let's take this thing and put it on a brand new cart. We don't want to defile it and put it on a dirty cart that somebody carried groceries or something on. No, no, brand, somebody get a brand new cart. Go build a brand new cart. And we're going to put it on that and bring it home. Sounds like a good intention, don't you think? Yes, and then when it started to stumble, the oxen stumbled, so the cart started to tilt, and this beautiful, precious gold box was about to fall off into the dirt. Uzzah said, oh, that can't be. Let me protect it. Sounded like good intentions, right? See, as we read the story, we think everything they were doing had really good intentions. They were, they were trying to go about things the right way. Even as we would think of it today, it would seem like a pretty good idea. The problem is what they tried to do was not the way God told them to do it. They did everything as wrong as possibly could have been done. Wrong. Let's go back in time one more time. We're going to go back even further. We're going to go all the way back to Moses. Moses went on top of the mountain. He got the Ten Commandments from God. He comes down. God, and that's a long story. I'm very much abbreviating. And God tells him, I want you to create a way for my people to worship me. I want you to create a tabernacle, which was going to be a tent. It's got poles and coverings and different furniture things. And whenever we move, you're all going to pack that thing up and you're going to carry it with us. And I want you to create that box, the Ark of the Covenant, put the Ten Commandments in it. My presence will be with that, and I will be with you because you're going to take that wherever you go, right? And so God tells Moses, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your brother Aaron, and we're going to turn his family into priest. And so Aaron and his family will lead the people of God to worship me. And we're going to give Aaron and his family some helpers like the serve team today. They, we need some helpers there. And so they, they were the Levites. If you've ever wondered what that word meant, it were all the people who served in the temple alongside of the priest. And so there were three families. God says, I'm gonna give you three tribes. And so these Levites then were supposed to help with everything that had to be done, but they also had to move it. When it came time for the people of God to move, they wandered around the desert for 40 years. Then the ark and the tabernacle all had to move as well. So I want to show you what happened because God then has everybody bring stuff to create the tabernacle, to make the ark, and to give them stuff to move it. And this is a different passage. You can just look on the screen because we went way back in time. It says, on the day when Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings, the chiefs of Israel, heads of their father's houses, brought their offerings before the Lord. You know what their offerings were? Six wagons and 12 oxen for them to carry everything. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and he gave them to the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service, and four wagons and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service. But to the sons of Kohath, he gave none, no wagons, because they were charged with the service of the holy things that had to be carried on the shoulder, never placed on a cart. You see, God allowed the tent poles and the tent coverings and some side furniture to be put on a cart and dragged around by an ox. But God says, you will not put me on a cart and drag me around by an ox. The people of God are going to understand what it means to carry the weight of the presence of God. You're going to put it on your shoulder with poles. And so the way that that box was made, here's what they were supposed to do. First of all, it would never go on a cart. It had gold rings on each side. And so when it was time to move, the priest would put poles through those rings and the Levites would then come in and pick it up and put it on their shoulder and they would carry the weight of holy, sacred things. That's a beautiful sermon for another day, that if God gives you something with spiritual weight, something representing him, that we need to feel the importance 
and how special and sacred that is that God has allowed us to have in our lives. Okay, but there's more to that. Not only were they not to put it on a cart, they were never to touch it. You get to touch the pole. You don't do anything else. And there was one beyond that. Before the Levites could come in and pick it up, before the priest put the poles through the rings, the priest would come in and they would take down one of the veils and they would cover it. God says, it won't sit on a cart. You won't touch it. You won't even look upon it because it is too holy. It is too sacred. It is too set apart. And what had these people done? They had taken the Ark of the Covenant. They had put it on display like some war victory and put it on a cart. And then they allow oxen to drag it around. And then when it starts to fall, they touch the holy presence of God. Remember how Dagon was knocked to the ground simply because God can do that sort of thing. Don't you think God can take care of himself when that car starts to stumble? But they all did what they wanted to do. See, here's the thing. This represented God's presence, and they didn't treat the holy things any differently than they did normal things. They treated the holy things of God just like they did everything else in their lives. God says how you do it matters, but they wanted to do it their own way instead. And what that meant is they had no respect for his presence. They had no respect for his holiness, but don't miss this one. It means they had no respect for his instruction. Why do I highlight that? Because culture on the earth, every culture forever, has been struggling with the idea that God has the right to say there is a right and a wrong. Culture has forever. It is not just our culture today. Oh, yes, does our culture today struggle? Absolutely, but it's nothing new. It is nothing new that humans think, how dare God tell me that there is a right way and a wrong way? I believe I'll go about this any way I want. And when you do, you may have an Uzzah moment. You see, you need to understand Uzzah didn't die for touching the cart. Uzzah died for disobeying God and dishonoring that which was holy. That's a big difference. And what you need to know is if you want to handle the special things of God, you have got to treat them like they're special. If you want to handle the special things of God, you need to treat them like they're special. Why does that matter? Because you are special. You are special. Your calling is special. Your purpose is special. Your life is special. Your soul is special. Your body is special. I'm not giving you a motivational speech and I'm not trying to talk you up. I am letting you know that you are created by the creator of the universe in his image with purpose to do great things with his spirit dwelling within you with gifts to accomplish things upon the earth. You are different. You are special. That is why God says, I'm the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I'm holy. You're special. You're different. We're not supposed to function like everything else in the world. We are the only things created in the image of God, the only things filled with the presence of God, his spirit inside of us. Your life is special to God. And how you live it matters. Your soul is special to God. How you treat it matters. Your body is special to God. How you honor him with it matters. And let's just think about that one for a minute. Thousands of years ago, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And look how God expected it to be treated very specially, right? You know, today, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Don't you think God is looking up at heaven and he's as concerned with how we treat this as much as he was with how Uzzah treated a box? Just something to think about. Chances are some of you, chances are all of us have been having some Uzzah moments in life. Things haven't been quite turning out the way you hoped. You tried something, you went about it. You just kind of figured that'll work. That's a good way. I'll try that. Well, I know I got some other advice. Well, I know, but, and you did it a certain way. You didn't quite get what you wanted. You might be having a news a moment. Matter of fact, some of you would go as far as, the, I don't even think God's on my side right now. He may not be. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean you're not a redeemed child of God, but sometimes we're having news a moment. God's trying to say that is not the way to go about something. What I have planned for your life, you're not gonna get there that way. And think about this. What I actually run into that's worse as a pastor is not when people are having an ooze moment and they're feeling like God has abandoned them. It's when people do whatever they want, any way they want, and they think it's okay because God hasn't struck them dead. They think, oh, I'm not having a ooze moment. Look at that, God doesn't even do that anymore. God's good, he's merciful, he forgives everything. God's not even paying attention to me. Listen, you should be grateful for the mercy of God that he doesn't go around striking us. But just because you're still breathing doesn't mean he hasn't killed an opportunity, killed a relationship, killed a career. You see, there are things in your life that you may have tried to go about your own way and God killed it. And just because you're breathing, you're like, oh, look, God ain't paying attention. And you just keep going about things your own way, having more and more ooze moments, getting worse and worse and worse. You find yourself going, what is the deal in life? Proverbs 19 says, a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Who are you blaming? That's what happened with David at that point. As they were bringing the cart back and God struck Uzzah and David said, man, how can we ever bring the cart home? And he got angry at God and they just took the ark and stuck it in somebody's house again and they walk away and leave it. Seriously, it's been in somebody's house for 20 years. You came to get it. You didn't do it the way God said, didn't go right. Now you're mad at God. You stick it in the house and walk away again. Bottom line, everybody, how matters. How matters. There's a reason you take driving lessons because how you drive will determine what you do or do not run into. How matters. There's a reason that you keep repeating that level in Call of Duty because how you beat the level, you haven't figured out yet and how matters. There's a reason that you have a coach in sports because how you play the game determines if you win. Look, how matters, I hope by now you agree with me. So the real question you wonder, what is he really getting at today? The real question I have for you today is if how matters, who determines the how for you in your life? Is it just government laws? Well, hey man, as long as I'm not breaking any laws and I'm not going to jail, I'm being a good little citizen, I'm good. Is it culture? Well, as, as long as I'm doing what everybody else is doing and I'm fitting in with the crowd, I'm good. Is it influencers? Well, hey, as long as I'm keeping up with them, I'm good. <laughs> is it you? Hey, as long as I'm getting my way and everything's working out, I'm good. There might be someone else who has an opinion on how you should live your life. Let me show you something about God's intention for you. Jeremiah says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Psalm 139 says, your eyes saw my unformed body. 
All my days were written in your book and ordained for me before one of them came to be. Ephesians 2 says, for we are God's workmanship. That is not mass produced. That is uniquely crafted, one at a time, created as a, as a work of art. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance as our way of life. I want you to just be logical with me for a minute. If God has so much planned for your life, for each and every one of us, don't you think how we go about those plans would matter? If he's got so much planned, I think how we go about those things should matter. And so here's the truth that you have to wrestle with right now. It is time for you to make a decision. But I'm actually gonna use a different word. I, I, I pray today this decision becomes a conviction. But it is time for you to determine the how for you in your life. It is time for you to decide because there are people who will choose themselves. And by the way, we all have at some point. If you did not give your life to Jesus at six months old and you are over seven months old here today, you have had a journey of doing it your way, of being yourself in charge. And we've all been there. And the truth is, some of us are still there fighting. And they end up in my office. It's one of the toughest things we do as pastors is sitting down with people who have gotten so far from what God said, had so many ooza moments, they don't even want to get close to God again. And my job is many years later to help people figure out God still has a great plan for your life. You just gotta go about it how he intends. What I wanna encourage you in today is don't wait. Don't wait until you've had a bunch of ooza moments and half of your life is in a ditch to figure out God really has a great plan. He does. And how you go about it will matter. And so I'm gonna leave you with a very simple challenge today. And that is to decide who determines the how for you in your life. Who determines the how for you in your life? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. That's a good way to start, don't you think? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. No, he doesn't get advice from the ungodly. Nor does he stand in the way of sinners. No. He doesn't do what the rebellious does, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. No, he doesn't sit and mock everybody else and mock God and his ways and thinking everything will work out. Nope, he doesn't do that. What does he do? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He knows the how for his life. He meditates on the how for his life. He follows the how that God has determined. And the result, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. God's word is the how for your life. How matters. And God's word is the how for you and your life. I want you to think about something very important. If you didn't question this, when the Philistines had the Ark of the Covenant and they wanted to get rid of it, what'd they do with it? They put it on a cart, dragged by some cows. They even tried to trick the cows. And God didn't strike a single one of them dead. You know why? Because they weren't the people of God. 
And they didn't know what was expected of them. They didn't claim to say, I want to be a person of God. I want God's blessing. No, no, no. They, they wanted Dagon's blessings. But see, I actually messed up your life today. For those of you that intended to skip church, you should have. For those of you that your spouse dragged you here, you get to be angry for just a second because they got you in trouble. You see, here's the point. A moment ago, you might have been like the Philistines, but now you're not because now you know. Now you know how matters, and now you know what and where to find the how. And so I'm gonna leave you with one very simple thing. Are you now going to let God be God and determine the how for your life? Because how absolutely matters. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you do have great things planned for us. We thank you that we are set apart. We are holy. We are filled with your spirit. We are created in your image. We are created to do great things. God, we thank you that you have a special purpose for each and every one of us. God, we today say we're sorry that we have been putting our lives on a cart and treating it like any other unholy thing. God, today we resurrender our lives, our purpose. We give you our ways. We give you our ways and we follow your ways. God, we said, would you help us as we determine and declare we will follow your how for our lives because we know you have good things planned and we want to honor you. We thank you for being a good and loving father. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus the king of your life. See, in the many goodnesses of God, when we had all sinned, as we know we all have, every one of us has done something our own way. We've had a thought, an action, or an attitude that, well, it wasn't perfectly holy. And that separated us from God. But God loved us so much, he didn't want to leave us there. So he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life on the earth. So that when Jesus was crucified on the cross, his blood shed, his body broken, he could pay for sins, but he didn't have any of his own, so it instead paid for your sins and mine offering us forgiveness and being made right with God. And then by the same power that raised him from the dead, you and I can be raised to eternal life. All of this is what we call the free gift of salvation. But like any gift, you have to receive it. And if you never have, I wanna help you do that right now. Wherever you are, would you simply pray and say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?